Welcome back to the third instalment of Guido Talks. Despite the lockdown and the bank holiday, if anything, this week has been even more busy than the last one. Today, I am again joined by Guido Fawkes founder and editor Paul Staines and reporter Christian Kauge, and I'm Tom Harwood. If you haven't worked it out already, we are the three people who will be talking every week. You're going to get used to it. Um, you're watching Guido Talks, the weekly roundup of all things Guido. Let's kick off this week with the bonkers shadow sage or activist sage committee story from Monday. Why was it so bizarre, Kalgi? Well, we had a big uh, fanfare launch on Sunday night of uh, independent sage, which was going to be some outside experts contributing to the debate on how the government is going about the lockdown and other aspects of dealing with um, the pandemic. Uh, and it took us all of a couple of hours on Monday morning to go through the membership list and discover that uh, nine out of 13 of those involved, 70%, were left-wing, either pro-Labour, pro-EU or anti-Tory activists. And uh, we got the news out before their launch. And uh, despite the large fanfare, we, for some reason, haven't heard much from them since uh, because it, it, did, it did discredit uh, where they were coming from. And you have the chair who notoriously had advised Blair and Brown to promote diesel cars. And you look at their record and it, you know, the, suddenly there wasn't much interest in hearing from them anymore. Well, pro, absolutely. Pro Labour activists is a bit of an understatement. I mean, there were two actual communists. You know, one of them, you know, Suzanne Michi, who funds the Communist Party, uh, uh, actually married to um, Murray, who was Corbyn's advisor and uh, father of uh, Laura Murray, who was in charge of investigating anti-Semitism. She's currently being sued by uh, Rachel Riley in a anti-Semitism-related matter. So it was quite a uh, motley crew. <laughs> These are heavily involved political figures. And it's, I, I actually didn't take long to look through the broadcast session of their discussion um, of their Shadow Sage meeting to see they just were constantly talking about austerity and government policy, not really related to the issue at hand at all. It was clearly very politically uh, charged this discussion so much so that one of the uh, members of the committee actually said hang on let's row back let's stop talking so much about politics and try and focus a little bit more on COVID-19 that's the level of politicization that this committee has it's, it's totally discredited in my I view think, there's a I think this story this week that was probably our most impactful story because if you looked on Sunday there was all the flyers and the Sunday papers and then five minutes before they launched our story hits the uh, Twitter and out there. And you saw quite respectable middle-of-the-road commentators saying, you know, maybe maybe there is something a bit fishy with these characters and maybe it's not the right way to go about it by recruiting a lot of people who are on the extreme of the academic medical world, to be honest. Right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a scientist and being a socialist. 
and in any committee you'd expect there to be a sort of variety of political views perhaps but there is something deeply concerning and perhaps suspicious about a committee that is overwhelmingly not just of one political opinion but activists for that political opinion then something starts to smell a little bit wrong and it's surprising how easy it was to find some of these people who are almost amateur political commentators on twitter constantly uh, one that was particular particularly funny to sort of find was um, a professor at LSE who doesn't seem to have all that much um, written up about him until you Google uh, in the Greek news because he's he's a former Greek MP oh, yeah. for their socialist party and suddenly I was going on Google Translate and reading through all of these um, articles about when he was serving in the socialist Greek government as a politician this is one of the people the, that they had on the, the uh, on the committee wasn't he is the Greek communist youth former head um, that's exactly I th- right i thought the funniest one was the the chair sir david king because this was a guy who who was seeming to command quite a lot of respect from the mainstream media and then you look into who the guy is and not only did he lose his job as a result of cuts made by boris as foreign secretary so there's already an axe to grind but he'd actively complained the government weren't putting him on the media enough and all of a sudden, he's all over the media attacking Boris. And you wonder whether these two things are connected in any way. Quite. <laughs> well, yeah. I, think, I think why this matters is that if we hadn't of revealed just what the calibre and the character of these characters was, right now we'd be having a sort of parallel sage discussion and everything they said would be being compared you know, an actual shadow to the real Sage um, advisory group, which, to be fair, hasn't covered itself in glory either. No, no. This this week we've also seen um, one of the members of Sage having to step down. Um, I, I don't know, Paul, if you could take us into a bit more detail about that. Okay, so Neil Ferguson was the uh, epidemiologist stroke statistician who's based at um, Imperial College, if I recall correctly, and he has been influential in a number of studies. Anyway, if you remember back to the beginning of the pandemic, there was a sort of uh, move towards having a Swedish-style uh, approach. And then all of a sudden it flipped. And it flipped because Neil Ferguson had uh, developed a model, which is quite controversial now, which said up to half a million people would die if we carried on the course we were. And at that point, the whole tone and strategy of the government seemed to change and pivot. And we went into lockdown and quite heavy suppression uh, uh, tactics to be used in the fight against the pandemic, which is controversial itself. The uh, embarrassing thing that's happened for Neil Ferguson, and he was one of those people you'd see in the Downing Street briefings, and on telly, being a pundit saying how it's all terrible and how we all want to stay at home, was that his girlfriend was trekking across London uh, to see him for a bit of um, uh, one-to-one academic discussions, so to speak. Now, you know, she's a married woman. It's their business, not ours, what they do. But the hypocrisy of her and him getting together, um, breaking the uh, lockdown rules more than once was too much and he quite rightly resigned. 
yeah, it was the scoop we were all waiting for. I mean, we had a lot of fun when the chief medical officer in Scotland had to resign for breaking the rules. But then this had the added joy of an extramarital affair going on in the background. Uh, and it, it all provided, at the same time as the hypocrisy aspect, which was the reason he stood down, a bit of uh, brevity to the weeks. Uh, it did cheer people up. Well, and on top of uh, the story itself, then we found out that a few weeks ago she'd actively been complaining that the lockdown was providing quite a strain on her marriage because she was having to spend so much time with her husband. Uh, but it's great now, the pair of them back home. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she turned out to be a bit of a political activist herself, didn't she, Calgary? Yeah, very much in favour of free movement. She was a pro-EU activist and had been organising uh, rallies amongst young people, both against Brexit and I think against the uh, US presidential election for some reason. Uh, she's a senior campaigner at Avast uh, and uh, had been heavily involved in... She's, she's actually quite a green as well, isn't she? She's a... Uh, sort of on the edges of extinction rebellion so i'd have thought she'd be quite happy with the whole lockdown no planes flying nobody driving and uh, the air being a lot purer so it's not all bad for her this month is it well that's the that's the typical attitude of the of the most fervent green campaigners they want everyone else to follow their rules but for them they're the ones allowed to fly and travel and break lockdown and all that sort of stuff um but anyway moving on um we have had another um, quite big story um, that came about on Thursday morning, and that is uh, Nadia Whittam, the baby of the house, the youngest MP at 23 years old, Labour MP, quite a Corbynista, um, and she has been making the news all over the place last night and this morning. Why is that, uh, Christian? Well, uh, we were treated to a uh, Mirror exclusive, uh, no idea how they got their hands on that one last night, uh, where Nadia Whittam had supposedly been fired from her voluntary uh, uh, job at a uh, care home uh, for criticising PPE provision. And it caused quite the scandal and everyone leapt on it. And at face value, that seems quite shocking. But you actually start gathering the evidence and the story doesn't play out as she portrayed it because uh, this is a care home where there hadn't been a single coronavirus death. Uh, they themselves have said they have three months supply of PPE uh, and actually her political posturing, her political campaigning had been uh, worrying the residents and she'd been putting her political activism ahead of the well-being of the people she was supposedly looking after and at that point the actions of the care home become completely justifiable it also yeah, i mean um, i was a bit i was a bit suspicious of her i mean i she's come across our radar before um, when she was trying to get selected she kind of gives the impression that she's a sort of working class hard-working girl you know, it's not quite like that. She went to a private school, she comes from a very comfortable background, and she's one of these faux proletarians that the Corbynistas seem to throw up all the time. And when she was getting selected, let's just say she did confuse the matter of whether she went to state school or private school. And 
um, also kind of pretended to come from a not so leafy suburb of her local area and make out that she came from a more rundown area. You know, she's 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 a bit of a uh, fictional CV writer, I think. Yeah, to put it to put it mildly, this is someone who has got a bit of a history of bending the truth a little bit and and promoting things for political ends that aren't quite as they are. Um, but what I found very odd about this is that none of the uh, mainstream press that reported this case actually reported anything that was in the letter um, that was sent by the the care home saying actually we won't be needing your services anymore she'd only she'd only uh, worked as a casual worker in there for eight shifts over the course of this pandemic now that's not a lot and actually be if you fair, think about it be fair tom they've only read it on guido today it'll take till at least tomorrow before they print it in the newspapers you know they can't do it just like us <laughs> Fair enough, but this is this is bizarre, right? This is um, someone who, let's face it, has been popping in and out, probably popping in and out of Parliament in London and then going back up. Is that really the best idea to have people coming in and out of care homes quite so much? The care home that she's been working at has ha- has done very well to not have had a single COVID death and to have fifty thousand pairs of gloves and whatever else it's been saying it has in terms of provision. Um, Perhaps her services weren't actually that useful in the first place. And the letter isn't really a a, a sacking. You'll notice a lot lot of the places people are are saying sacking in inverted commas, and that's with good reason. She was a casual worker. um, And and you say casual, I say dilettante. (laughs) She was she was like those celebs who go to refugee camps and get their picture taken with a crying baby. I mean, it's a little bit uh, poverty tourism and sort of like that, isn't it? It does. It does have that same slight air, and it's interesting that she was spending just as uh, about the same amount of time in that care home as talking to media and in TV studios, talking about things that she actually wasn't necessarily experiencing in that care home, which has been saying it has got lots and lots of PPE equipment. Whereas, let's not let's not deny that there aren't real problems with PPE provision in some places in the country. It would be nice if, um, if broadcasters and, uh, and, and newspapers spoke to the people that are working in the care homes that do have the problems and who don't happen to be MPs or political activists at the same time. But moving on from that curious story, it's about time to talk about the other big mess that the government has got itself in this week and that is the NHS app. Now this is an app that quite controversially the UK government is designing in-house and ordering around a centralised system where people's data is going to be sent off to a centralised NHS database to, to use so that the government can see where the hotspots are and deal with policy but the problem with that centralised idea is that it goes against the policy of the two major mobile operating system providers, Apple and Google, who have safeguards in around how Bluetooth can be used so that apps, third-party apps, can't track users with good reason. There are lots of regimes around the world who we wouldn't be wanting to give this power to. So unlike countries like uh, Germany or Ireland that are using the Apple-Google API to develop 
apps that work within those privacy constraints and therefore work all the time, not using much battery and are useful, but don't provide that centralized database to government. The NHS has decided to design its own app that doesn't work within the Apple Google API that tries to uh, collect all this data, send it off to central government, but because of that is restricted by the operating systems, meaning that they, it doesn't really work all the time. You have to continually keep opening the app in order for the Bluetooth to be connecting, which really rather defeats the point. Didn't you come up with a list of uh, 10 problems with the app that really uh, got the Department of Health and Social Care quite motivated? I think I got a late night email from them demanding we uh, could make our 10 corrections. And I did say to them, you have to wait till tomorrow until we consult our experts. And they came back, didn't they, Tom? They did. We had a team of experts go over this rebuttal that the um, Department of Health, uh, Health and Social Care um, put to us quite late at night. Overnight, our team of experts went through the points one by one and explained why they were so full of spin. It's really worth, if you have the time, and it's a long bank holiday weekend and we're all stuck indoors, so please do, go and look at the rebuttal article on Guido Fawkes and just see that dialectic between um, our original points the Department of Health's rebuttals, and then our experts' um, rebuttals to those rebuttals. It's a really interesting read, and it looks like, I think, the Department of Health is going to have to U-turn on this. I think they're going to have to, and of course the fast didn't end there, because we had something coming out last night, driven by a story in The Sun that said Apple were loosening the restrictions on its software so this could constantly run in the background and function as you would hope it to it wasn't too long after that that apple explicitly came out and said that the sun story is wrong there is no special api no arrangement and no special treatment and it does look like the app is going to have problems um, despite that we learned today um, already uh, since it launched on Monday, there have been about 29,000 downloads of this app, which is in three days quite impressive. It's about 20% the population of the Isle of Wight, who are the only people who have access to it at the moment. Um, but it's a wider issue. We saw earlier in the, the pandemic, there was a, um, a paper written by the ASI that there was quite a lot of agreement with on centralization of testing with, with um, NHS England. And this seems to be the same problem, which is the propensity to keep things too centralized and not let the private sector do things in the more efficient way they, we know they can. Absolutely. It seems like there's been wasted time here. When it came to testing, trying to keep things in-house, I think they called it a command and control strategy within the NHS. That meant that we couldn't ramp up testing that quickly. And then finally, when uh, charities and universities and the private sector was brought in, that's when testing seriously started to be ramped up. Similarly, I think we're going to see a bit of a U-turn on this app, just like what's happening in Australia right now, actually. In Australia, they brought out a similarly centralised app that didn't work that well when the phone was locked, which is the most of the time that people have a phone in their pocket, why the app is supposed to be used. Um, if it, it, It's not been working that well, and now they're changing to a decentralised model. I think the NHS will have to do that if they want this app to work. To be fair to Matt Hancock, I mean, he is, he's the only 
minister I've ever known who's got his own app. He is quite savvy on these things. He is trying to drive technological change. Now, I don't think they'll admit it will be a U-turn, but there might be quite a, a change in the software development or something akin to that where they incorporate some of these um, changes that will be necessary. I don't think they've got an ideological reason to go with um, the approach they're taking on Bluetooth. I mean, they might have an ideological reason wanting it centrally... Uh, uh, controlled but I think with all the privacy um, concerns they may have to compromise on that and and let's hope that they do um, but that was just about all that we had time for this week thank you so much for uh, listening and watching and we'll see you again rounding up next week next Saturday take care bye <laughs>